We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. good everybody welcome back to veterans minimum i'm your host nick theus 10 at veterans minimum is where you can find everything for vm my guy is in the building joe fan what's good bro what's up nick good to be back man it's good How to doing, see bro? you it's be good, in studio man. with you it's good and we have a uh very very special guest uh past rusher gold royalty <laughs> robert mathis what's up man thank you for pulling up on us oh man thanks for having me out Pleasant trip, so look forward to doing bigger and better things, man. So let's get after it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting that that you're here. And I was telling Joe this before we started recording because I feel like you have always been a dude that based on the NFL fan, if I asked about you, if they knew about your game and knew you and would hype you up, that's when I would say to them and I would start judging them that they actually know the game. Because you were a guy that was so consistent. You never were like a, and hopefully you don't jump across the table and attack me on this one, but you were never on like people's list as like the best pass rusher. Mm -hmm. But amongst the football fans, they're like, nah, that dude is a baller, consistent, there every week, and just always were productive. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. And um, I agree with it. So I'm not, I was never the guy that that looked for the the camera, the rah-rah, so I was... It was a perfect situation for me. Uh, my first year, I was playing with Dwight Freeney. And so he was getting all the attention, notoriety. It was like, that's fine. Right, that's okay with me. So it was a great ride, 14 years, uh, one club. And um, I, could, I can't, couldn't ask for anything more. <laughs> Robert, I, I used to be in the reporting world covering the NFL, <clears throat> covered a handful of teams, Titans, Niners, and Seahawks. And anytime you're talking to somebody who is – you know, even if it's in the prime of their career, they're doing something incredible and you want some sort of reaction of what is this like? What does this mean to you? The, the competitor's answer is always, we'll deal with that. We'll reflect on that when it's all said and done. Like right now, I'm in the moment trying to win games with my team. I want to win a ring, all that. I would assume, given like you just mentioned, you weren't a limelight kind of guy. You were happy to, to let Dwight take that and you just do your work. Did you, what's it like? So then when you actually finish up your last, your last season was in 2016. 
Do you spend that time and say like, damn, I was a monster. 123 sacks, 54 forced fumbles, led the league in forced fumbles three times, led the league in sacks once. Like, that's impressive. Like, do you do you have that moment or or several moments of reflection like after you finally hang them up? Well, exactly what you said. You don't reflect on it until the cake is baked, per se, which is, you know, after retirement, you have a chance to just sit down and just go through the game film and just look at from 2003 to 2016 because during the season, you're getting ready for the offseason. And in the offseason, you're getting ready getting ready for the season. But uh, it was a hell of a ride. I can't, I can't, you know, I'm not going to sneeze at the things that I was able to accomplish. And uh, just to be able to play with uh, my quarterback bash brother, like Dwight, uh, we always joke, like, which I, I can't say that. He, he stole a lot of my sacks, and we, we just go <laughs> back and forth with the banter like that. But it was awesome just to be a part of that team. And also with playing with Peyton and Jeff Saturday, you know, guys like uh, Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison, Edron James. Yeah, so the, I mean, the, so it, it goes on and on. And the run we had in the 2000s, it was just, it, it, it compares to nothing. <laughs> I think the, the coolest thing about you, too, is that you played with one team your whole career. Which, yeah, that's like the last of the dying breed, dude. Like, you don't see a lot of guys sticking out with one team. And especially at your position, too. You take honor in that? That's the one thing I, I, I take a lot of pride in. I was, I always say I was able to quit. I didn't get fired. <laughs> and so, dope. being with the same team 14 years, especially in this day and age, free agency, that's is almost unheard of. Especially when, like I said, I played with Peyton. He he went to Denver. Uh, you look at Tom Brady, who's in Tampa now. Uh, Reggie Wayne left. Reggie too. Wayne. Uh, just guys that are not able to go out with the same team that came in with. I I just, I'm forever indebted to the Colts with that. They gave me, they, they allowed me to start and finish in the same place. So I think it's easy to look to, like for fans, I mean, fans are, are fans of, by and large, are fans of the team, the colors, the logo, the jersey, before the players. And they have players. I mean, again, there are players that supersede that. But I think there's sort of, it's easy to have this notion of, well, this guy left or this guy didn't want to be here anymore. But it goes the other way just as much, especially for guys who say, I'm going to I'm gonna play this thing out until I can't go anymore, as opposed to, like, I'm going to walk away while the going's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at a guy like Bobby Wagner. Um, who would have loved to play his entire career in Seattle. They didn't want him anymore. And and they were the ones that cut him and he went and signed elsewhere. So I, I do think there are so many factors at play and so many things that have to go right for that to happen. And it is really cool. Someone like like yourself, who is such a legend to Colts fans, they never they don't have any sort of picture in their head of you wearing another jersey in the NFL. <laughs> and that's pretty rad. But also let's let's also give him his flowers too. Is dude was productive for till sure. the end. Also, it's yeah. not like they were doing you a favor. It's like, nah, man, you're bowling. You're you're mm-hmm. earning that right to and be out there I mean, with so them. So many things have to go right. That you know, boxes have to be checked for that to be the case. So, but that you is also neat. factor in the, the 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 point that I wasn't as expensive as other guys. <laughs> so the, the production was there, but also it's it still boils down to dollars and cents. Yeah. When you would, I, I always like to to pick the brain of a professional athlete and think if you guys think like us also. Like when I go to a park and I'm playing basketball, I'm playing football, and someone is guarding me, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to eat this dude up. Oh, yeah. You you have the same thing, right? Like oh, you yeah. look at the schedule oh. and you see, oh, this, oh my God, this is going to be a career day. Oh, it goes in depth. So 
like I said, you would look, look at the schedule. Of, okay, this is a stat game. This team, they suck. So <laughs> I'm, I, I might get two or three sacks off of, this, off of these, this team here. But you also would get to the game and you would kind of, the offensive tackle that I'm facing, I would just give him the kind of up, down, kind of scan him. So if he had big ankles, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick his ass because he was too slow. But if he had small ankles, I said, okay, he's, he's kind of athletic, so I might have to go in a bag of tricks a little bit. So it's little things like that that absolutely we strategize and we game plan on the run. You have that where not only is like the matchup going in favorable, but maybe someone gets hurt mid-game or like the week prior and all of a sudden he and Dwight Freener are going against a backup tackle and oh, you yeah. just think, oh, poor guy, <laughs> that's got to be so tough. It's all, it's, those are the good times, you know, just the, the conversations that, that we have. And we try to, it's almost like a fight to get over there to go against, if it's a rookie or like a second or third string guy, you, you, you're, we, we want to get over there. We want to get some reps and, and some rushes against that guy. You don't, you don't got to throw anyone under the bus on this one unless you want to. You know, I'm always down <laughs> to like go viral, you know, mm-hmm. trying to build it, this uh, show out. But <laughs> you ever have rookies come in and within one or two practices or one session, you're like, man, he was a first round draft pick. Like, and it's just not going to work out. Like, has that ever happened? Or does it happen? <laughs> or the opposite, where, like, you're like, oh, this dude's good the stuff. This good, guy is going to be it. Oh, that happens a lot. I'm not, I can't think of any names off the top, but you're like, this this guy was a first rounder or a second rounder. And a lot of that stems from, I guess, your your draft stock. I went fifth round, but I also came from an HBCU, so I was I was okay with my draft status. But once you get there, and all you hear is about these big Georgia, Alabama, uh, uh, Oklahoma, these big old mythical guys, and they they suck. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> and so it's just kind of like, okay, I, I belong here. I can play here. And then you also have guys that went undrafted. Gary Brackett, uh, he, yeah. he was short. But then he come in and just straight took his spot. He took it. And – um. I mean, yeah, so like on both sides of the coin, you have that. So it's it's never as good and it's never as bad as you think. I mean, you mentioned the run you guys had, that core you'd built in the 2000s with that Colts team. I mean, how how close are you guys still? I mean, do you have buddies still from, from those playing days that you keep up with? Or is there sort of yeah. a pride that that group has just in terms of everything you guys are able to accomplish? Absolutely. You still talk to guys because, I mean, during that time, you you spend more time with these teammates than you do your own family. So those relationships, a lot of them are, are cemented. And then you have uh, just recently the, the Ring of Honor with Tar Glenn. And just to see all the guys you played with over the years come back. And it was just a, it was a great, just a great time. And all you can talk about is the, just the good old days. And now you find yourself sounding like, like Deacon Jones, like, man, these little young, they saw it. They, 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 back in my day, and yeah. I say, oh man, I yeah, said you that. walked back up in my snow both ways, man. <laughs> yep. So we're that we're those guys now. Yeah. Well, that's actually a good segue into one of the questions that we had for you about pass rushers nowadays. And before we get into like who you like watching, are you a fan with pass rushing nowadays with these new rule sets though? Like with the quarterback, rough in the you're passer. About to, you're, about to, you're about to start some stuff now. Yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. stir the pot, dude. I'm trying to go. Because I don't let's know how you it. can't watch these games and man, think, man. Come on, let's go. It's not football. It's man, soft. It's just soft right now. You can't touch the quarterback. You can't chip his fingernail. You can't. You can't. 
I heard his, you can't say anything to him. It was like two or three games. The, the, the game hung in the balance, and a and a flag at the end of the game dictated uh, whether a drive was kept kept going or, or whether. Are you talking about the Chiefs Colts game earlier this yes. year with Chris Jones yes. and Matt Ryan? I like, I, I get it. It's, it's the Colts or whatever. We appreciate it, but no, as a pass rusher, that was crap. That was Especially crap for an established dude. Like, it's not a rookie. Yeah, that, yeah. And it was also yeah. Before he said something, I still don't know what he said. It was another, uh, what was that, what, was it two, uh, the game? It was, it was, uh, there was one with uh, Brady and, 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 and Jerry, yeah. Of, yeah, of course. So, <laughs> it was, of that was course. another bull, a bull BS call, but it's just like, what are you going to do? You got to play within the confines of the rules. Uh, it started with the strike zone, Tom Brady rule, <laughs> and uh, I mean, it just, they just it's it's a it's tougher playing now because like we was talking earlier, <clears throat> like Drew Bledsoe, he was one of the hardest guys ever to tackle. Like my rookie year, a lot of people wouldn't believe that, but the, those quarterbacks in the early two thousands, they got the business. They got we got they got body slammed and 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 threw in the mud and got roughed up. So they definitely earned their stripes. And then the further back you go, the more respect they get. Like Dan Marino, man. Uh, uh, well, Bradshaw, these quarterbacks, they used to get forearms to the head and all this stuff, but now you can't, you just can't even, you can't say anything that's going to hurt their feelings. And that is terrible. Uh, you mentioned that you're still in the Indiana area, Indianapolis area, uh, in the hour radius or around the city. Uh, so you stay close by. Uh, what, what are you up to these days, man? Like, you catch us up with where you're at in life and, and what's going on with you. Well, I do uh, tr- uh, training, uh, youth football, college football, high school, and pro. And uh, we have a, it's called Original Gridiron Gang. Mm-hmm. And so we just do, across the board, just uh, more like a mentorship. It's not just football training. It's all sports across the, across the, across the board. Uh, uh, speed, agility. Uh, we got football position-specific. But the unique part is that all of our children, we scholarship them. Most, most of them, most of them, we, we, we scholarship them. And just to give rural area, rural area and also inner city children the opportunity to train with elite instructors, just like, you know, anybody like paying or whatnot. And so, like military families, uh, like today, you know, salute to service. <laughs> appreciate just appreciate yep, all yep. you do. Appreciate mm-hmm. all you do. You guys are the real heroes, not us, not us. <laughs> Understand that. But <clears throat> giving them access to training by elite instructors, uh, teaching them the importance of dining etiquette, social media awareness, teaching them n- don't tweet that mm. at age 14 and when you turn 24 trying to get a job, that same tweet is going to come bite you. And also financial literacy. So those are the three pillars that we harp on because you would hear guys that play uh, play in, uh, professional sports say, I wish I had known that way back then. And so I, we kind of use that to just uh, to parlay that into we're going to we're going to pour into them. If you can learn something in the third, fourth, fifth, uh, 10th, 11th, 12th grade that grown men are just now learning, you're going to be that much further ahead, ahead of the game. And like I said, not just football. Yes, financial literacy, social media, dining etiquette, things, just necessary tools for success in life as young men. So that's where we at. 
I noticed some of your Gridiron Gang clips implement some sort of, I look at it as like martial arts, like mm-hmm. with the one-twos and you're using <clears throat> MMA pads. Yeah. Was that something you were doing in training? That came along, like this. I started my career like midway. I started doing boxing training and that was like, this is good stuff. It, it, it really teaches you proper and uh, precise hand strikes. And so later in my career, I did MMA and boxing. Mm. So with like the grappling and, and the, the, the locks and the holes and how to get out of it. Because yeah. O-linemen, they hold. <laughs> O-linemen, they, they, they always hold. And so you got to get out of that. And so it's real key. But with the training sticks, I just thought one day like, you know what? Let me use this. Because me using my hands, my, my hands and shoulders are getting are starting to hurt from these heavy-handed dudes, man. So I started using training sticks. <clears throat> and that's what martial art, you know, they, they do the same thing. So it's a lot of correlation, especially when you go on in the football field, in the trenches, O-line, D-line is hand-to-hand combat. And it's and it's and it's serious. So there's a lot of guys out here doing the training that and they're doing a great job. So it's just just a new trend right now. You mentioned that, you know, before we started recording that you'll be you know, watching on Sundays, but you're watching in the trenches and, oh, yeah. and maybe everything else is sort of peripheral in terms of uh, headlines around the league and such. But, but you know, Nick kind of alluded to it earlier. What are, who are some of the guys that you look at and say, oh, yeah, that guy's the real deal? Of course, my favorite pass rusher in this generation is Von Miller. Yeah. But this, Timeless. Uh, this, this, this Brian, Brian Burns out of Carolina, yep. I, I like him because he, 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 he does some stuff. He's spin, cross chop, uh, uh, stutter. He 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 does it all. But I was just looking at, I want to say it's the 2011 pass rusher draft class. They might be the greatest of all time because you got uh, JJ Watt, Robert Quinn, Von Miller, Chandler Jones, uh, not Chandler Jones, but uh, Cameron Jordan. Might be, and, and Alden Smith was in that class. Alden too. Smith, uh, man, it's like they got some. They got some Justin Houston, some guys that got drafted, and they all in the hundred sack club, all at the same. I mean, yeah. So those are the guys I watch them, and you also have, of course, Aaron Donald. You can, Aaron Donald, and so, and he came two. Well, I want to say two years later, twenty thirteen. Yeah, and he's on pace to get two hundred sacks. But one on one for sure. Yeah. 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 I love that you mentioned Brian Burns because yeah. last couple years, Carolina hasn't been that good of a team. And a lot of people will like dump on their defense. Like, ah, they don't got no playmakers. And then going how I set up this whole conversation with him something. about when you mention a guy like Brian Burns, that's when you could say, all right, this guy's actually watching the game. I mean, yeah. t- I, mean I wish I could pull up a tweet two years ago. I asked <laughs> if we could trade for him. Yeah. I saw. He was going to be that guy. And he was like, nope, don't worry about it. I'm like, So we got to talk about your Colts because this is a very topical time to be talking about your former team. An interesting season, uh, to say the least. Um, Let's just start with the headline of the week and and Jeff Saturday replacing Frank Reich um, out of nowhere, at least to most people. And I think probably even to him, because he said when he was there for the ring of honor stuff a couple weeks ago, they didn't discuss it. So yeah, it was, um, what was your reaction? What are your takeaways? And, and w- what do you expect from him? 
Well, my knowing react- him obviously yeah. so well from how long you guys played together. Yeah, my reaction was like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah. wow. But it's also if there was one guy that I knew can pull this off, it it would he if it was three guys, he's one of those three hmm. because he was actually our true he was our leader. My time as a as a young whippersnapper coming in 03, so you have Peyton and Marv you have all these big names, but it was Jeff was that centerpiece, and he you know he led the charge. He's he he had the tough conversations. He he'd get in your face and uh he he would straighten the coaches out if needed be for the players or whatnot. But I can definitely see him having success. But it was just this is <laughs> I wish I wish them well. So I know they're gonna do. Some good things because he, he commands that. He knows how he knows how to lead men. And that's the main thing they need right now. A leader of men. Yeah, it feels like that's sort of a I get both sides of it. I get the frustration where you've got you've got guys who have spent their whole lives in coaching and that's their ultimate goal mm-hmm. to get this opportunity. And then to hear Jim Ursay say, I'm happy that he has no experience. That's a benefit. It's like, how could that possibly be something you're looking for? But then at the same time, I think Sometimes we overstate what's needed from head coaches from an X's nose standpoint because so much of what you have to do as head coaches, you got to be the CEO and you have mm-hmm. to get the buy-in from the offense, defense, special teams, everyone, your coaching staff, and make sure that you know everything is happening the way it needs to when it's practices, uh, film mm-hmm. room, all of that. And it sounds like, at least from what you're saying, he has those leadership qualities that could at least line things up and then to, you know, you, it's there's something to be said for a team that shows up ready to play hard on Sunday, regardless of what's happening and has happened previously. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm curious to see what happens. <clears throat> and not I, just on against the Raiders on Sunday, but moving I forward for a, the rest of the year. A lot of what he's going to pull, he's going to pull from Coach Dungy. And that's no excuses, no explanations off the top, but also letting your coaches do their jobs. So the talent is there. And that's the disappointing thing about this season is all this talent that we have and is not, not being manifested. And uh, Jeff is going to kind of put the feet to the fire and just look, look, do your job. And uh, whatever needs to be said, let me handle the things that that's beyond your control. But uh, just kind of calm, just calm, calm the storm right now. Yeah. And you recently, that video was surfacing when he got the job of him and Peyton going at it one time. It was like that famous viral video. And like, Going back to what you were saying, Robert, about how he ha- he has no issues with standing up for himself, and if he thinks someone is doing the wrong thing, I'll let you know about it. it. Don't matter, and that's Peyton Manning, right? Like that's dude's like a god figure in Indianapolis. I, I got one better for you, it, yeah. and it and it, it involved Jeff and Peyton. I was what maybe first or second year defensive end. We're, we just broke meetings, and they are you hear them down a the hall going at each other, just arguing. So they come to the locker and they sit next to each other in the locker room. And Jeff just like, don't you ever do that again. I will Olay. We was, we was, we was going to play the Patriots. He's like, I will Olay Vince Wilfork and he will crush you. Don't you do it. <laughs> I mean, he, and I said, oh. <coughs> and he's talking to Peyton like this. So that kind of put in perspective, like, he's going to say what needs to be said. So he's not going to back down from anybody. He's not going to back down from a challenge. But, uh, but to your to your point, it's like you do want – there are other coaches <laughs> that, you know, this is what they did for years and stuff like that. So it's kind of like 
we used to say when you bring in a basketball player to play tight end or something, like, you know, Gates, Gonzalez, they great, great players, but they, they took an opportunity from a guy that did this from Pop Warner all the way up. And it, hey, it is what it is when it boils down to it. It is what it is. I'm curious your thoughts on the team in general. When I look at this Colts team and really where they've been the last three years, I have two takeaways. One is I think they're sort of proving that you can't skip the rebuild process when it comes to quarterback, or at least it's very hard to. You know, the Broncos did it with Peyton, mm-hmm. but the Colts have unsuccessfully done it with uh, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and now Matt Ryan when trying to get the last bit of production you can out of an aging quarterback. And then two, I think going into the season, the Colts, maybe just as much as anybody, had such a very clear definition of what their identity was going to be, standout offensive line play in an elite running game. But when that is your identity and then it falters and you don't have a backup plan, you're not multiple enough, you're not versatile enough, particularly offensively, to be able to make up for that and compensate for that, you're in a world of hurt. And I think we've seen that. I mean, Matt Ryan was a turnover machine, wasn't protected. They don't have enough pass catchers for him on the outside. Jonathan Taylor's been hurt. And so I, I'm curious if if that's maybe a fair evaluation and also just in general this year, but also the last two or three years, how you have felt about the trajectory of this Colts franchise. I think it goes back to the old mantra, overwork, underappreciated. And that applies to the O-line. If we have protected Andrew Luck, <laughs> we'd still have Andrew Luck. Yes. Put money into the O-line. Now, fast forward. You got to protect the quarterback. The quarterback is the engine to every every NFL car, vehicle. It is the quarterback. No quarterback, no chance. And if you can't protect him, no chance. Because it's something that I tell my guys. There's like a, a, it's a hierarchy. The most important players in the uh, NFL is the passer. The guy, the guy that chases the passer, the pass rusher. The guy that protects the passer, the left tackle, <laughs> and the pass catcher. So those are the four, or the you know, four positions that's going to always be priority and tops. And and I go even further. I tell my guys, as far as the pass rusher, we're number two because if I can beat this left tackle, sack the quarterback, take the football from him so he can't throw it to his pass, pass catcher, mm. I've neutralized three guys on one play. And like I said, the, the quarterback is the most important piece on the team, but he needs protection and he needs somebody to catch the damn ball. So that's the hierarchy. So if you don't protect this quarterback, you don't have a chance. That's and that's the O line. As much as I hate to admit that the O line, they got they got to be that 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 building block. And Jeff Saturday was that building block along with the O lineman during our run in the two thousands. Jeff, Tariq Glenn, um Ryan Dean, who doesn't get enough credit uh, notoriety or whatnot. Then you have the guards, Ryan Lilja, these guys, they were, it was, it'd be certain games that they'd be just full of dirt, but Peyton is, is clean. <laughs> and that's what you want to see. The Your Colts, that tenure that you were with them, with, with Peyton and, and Reggie and all those guys, that's how I break down how I would build a franchise. Find a quarterback, protect them, go after theirs. And that's what you guys were that's, doing. It's Bill Polian. That's, that was his blueprint. Yeah. He's Peyton, Dwight, Robert. Peyton, you get the lead. Dwight and Robert, you keep the lead. That was it. Tony Dungy said that. <laughs> Whether it was the regular season or playoffs, there were always Colts-Patriots matchups, and it was always 
Peyton versus Brady, which is always a sort of silly thing because they never are on the field at the same time. But but it is a Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis versus Tom Brady yeah. matchup <laughs> that was such a marquee. I mean, not just the regular season meetings, but the, the postseason as well. How, what are your thoughts on, on TB12? I'm just going to give you the mic, and I have no idea how you feel about it, but why not ask you about a guy that, that you saw up close and personal on a lot of big stages? It took me a long time to admit it, but you got to give the man his flowers. He's, he's, he's that guy when it comes to quarterback play. Uh, a lot of battles, uh, a lot of battles. And um, you knew that, that week going into the Patriots game, it was, diff- it was just different. And the year we played them in the AFC Championship, that was our Super Bowl. No disrespect to the Bears. It was these damn Patriots. We got to beat them. And once we got over that hump, and I'm not speaking arrogantly. We knew we were going to win the Super Bowl. We just had to get over this hump. Uh, playoffs, Patriots, uh, had 20 to 6 halftime. We had to we had to overcome a lead. And it was just so much stuff that we had to overcome that against Tom freaking Brady. So he talk shit. No, no, but if he if he if he thinks he deserves a flag, he's gonna let the ref know and he's gonna get that flag. So I, I'll say that. But he yeah. doesn't. He doesn't. Talk, he doesn't talk shit. Did you? Uh, no, no. We had a lot of guys that did, but I never really myself and Dwight. We never really just talked. But uh, because we had to deal with the old lineman, so we just kind of save our energy. <laughs> and you don't. I never want to give anybody fuel. Yeah. You know. So I'm just. If I can get to the quarterback, I'm just. Hey, hey. Let's do it again. Yeah. But if an old lineman starts talking trash, I'm, I might. I might clap back a little bit. That's crazy. I know. I know you. We went past it a little bit, but with Andrew Luck, you were talking about Joe about the the quarterbacks that they brought in on one year trials. It's kind of like the curse of Andrew Luck, like what Robert was saying about how they didn't protect him, right? Like everyone was saying they had Peyton Manning for all those years, and that one down year where he didn't play, they get Andrew Luck, and everyone's saying, "Yo, the Colts for the next, you know, that thirty year window, they're gonna have Peyton for fourteen plus, and then Andrew Luck," and you not being able to protect them is why I think that's been the tailspin of the Andrew Luck saga, and it's still playing out to this day. Yeah, I think in general, there's sort of this thought with quarterbacks is once you have a really good one, you sort of expect that quarterback to mask every other deficiency you have. It's like, all right, well, you don't have, you have these pedestrian receivers. Well, make them great. Yeah. Because it's happened before. And also your offensive line can't protect, so you just got to get the ball out quicker. And I think you see that with a lot of young quarterbacks and it's like, okay, you've invested there, but the investments has to have has to continue throughout the rest of the offense. If you're really going to maximize what this guy can do. You know, I look at what Justin Herbert's trying to deal with right now. Mm. I mean, it ain't Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Rodgers, certainly. I mean, the way they've dealt with Aaron Rodgers, thank goodness for Devontae Adams for all those years. But you know, when you're, when you're refusing to invest in that second pass catcher, Things are going to be a challenge, and, a, and, a, and even a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who to me is probably the most physically gifted quarterback I've ever watched. Um, you know, there's only so much he can do. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a fascinating conversation. All you do in this today's football, you just got to look at the blueprint. Okay, Peyton had Marvin first round, Reggie first round, Dallas Clark first round, Tart Glenn first round, <laughs> uh, Edron James first round, Joseph Adai first round. You have to build around a quarterback. Okay. Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't. He's a, an, an exceptional talent, but it's coming home to roost now. <laughs> and you can only do so much. You got to have more than one guy 
I mean, outside the quarterback, it has to be two and three guys to to be to to stay at elite levels. Helps when you get Robert Mathis in the fifth. Hey, appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I just, I I just mean, want I just want just opportunities. Again, I mean, I'm a Seattle guy, so when you look at Richard Sherman in the fifth, Cam Chancellor in what the third, Bobby Wagner in the second, like those add up really quickly when you're getting all pro level production from a guy who was drafted on day two or even day three. I mean, that makes a difference. I'm glad you brought up the Seahawks. They did, uh, they went back-to-back Super Bowl, not one, but they went to back-to-back Super Bowls, right? And they did that with a quarterback on his rookie deal. The same draft that Andrew Luck got drafted in, Russell Wilson, goes there. And he has a team, offense, defense, the running game, O-line. It was there while he was on his rookie deal. So once it's time to pay this quarterback, now decisions, decisions have to be made. But until, he, until then, build around them. And especially when you got all that salary cap money, go go for broke. And again, it goes back to what the Colts are doing. They haven't gone to that reset button where they're paying average quarterbacks $30 million a yeah. year. It does limit what you can do elsewhere. Well, yeah, having a, a, a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, also, we need them to be good too, right? Like there are quarterbacks that yeah, are on rookie. Andrew Luck was good. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. No, I totally agree with you. But if you look at the last couple of Super Bowl winners, with the exception of being Brady because he left to go to Tampa and, and, and Stafford, but that Eagles team that won the Super Bowl, Wentz was on a rookie deal. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Seahawks. You had um, you had the the Chiefs with Mahomes. Like that's a that's a huge luxury. Cincinnati. But, yeah, Cincinnati going <laughs> last year. But back to your point though. It don't mean nothing if you're not building around him. You're not building around him. Got to build around the quarterback. So. I got one more thing I want to ask him, and I'm fascinated by this because I'm a I like to gamble. I'm a sports better. Were you ever aware of the betting lines when you were playing, or was that bulletin board material? Like, oh, they they got us as underdogs. How'd that come about? Uh, every now and then, but it was more so. Yeah, when it was egregious, then yeah, we're gonna put that on the bulletin board. Like, how the hell are we we picked to lose to these guys, these bum ass? <laughs> but yeah, so we put that on the bulletin board. But most time, this is what it's a quote that a guy or a coach or somebody may say. Oh, we're gonna plaster that. So whatever kind of extra motivation we can use, we're, we're gonna use it. Yeah, so that's like a real thing, right? Oh, you coming in? It's a, every locker room has a bulletin board. And if you give somebody some some material, that's the first thing going up before the players come, even come in that building. Uh, to oh, follow yeah. up on that, maybe some bulletin board material on Sunday for the Colts with Josh McDaniels on the other sideline, a guy who turned away the Colts yeah. at the altar, said he was going to take the job, then backed out. That's the only reason Frank Reich was even there. Is that something where you feel that's a thing for you as someone who's a prideful you know, alumni of the organization, maybe they're thinking about this week. Uh, yeah, that's still kind of a sensitive spot for me because I was actually a coach on that staff when that was about to happen. And for him to do a pivot like that, uh, I mean, I can say what I want. That was a punk move. I can say what I want. <clears throat> but it is what it is. And I just hope the, the coach go out and just hang 50 on He might get fired. I, yeah, that would be poetic justice. The Raiders have blown set three 17-point leads this season, and if they lose to the Jeff Saturday-led that Colts, would poetic, that would be poetic justice. Yeah. Ooh, I say we go I say we go and make some calls. <laughs> we make some bets, dude. Because, yeah. yeah, think about it, right? Coming back full circle, that's the mm-hmm. team that you did that punk move Chef's on. Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. And right. then that's the that's team that it ends up you getting out. you out. <laughs> Man, that just fired me up. Yeah. That just got me hyped. Oh, yeah. 
Well, Joe, is there anything else you want to? Nah, this has been fun, man. I appreciate you inviting me back. Super fun to have Robert here uh, kicking it with us in in Vegas, man. Have fun at the game. Thanks for hanging out, dude. Thank you for for hosting us here. This has been awesome. Yeah, man, it was great. It was great to connect with you and to have you on the show. And, And I mean what I said in the beginning, dude. You were a guy who I would always use as a reference to understand if people actually watch the game and know the game. And it was an honor to have you on the show. And thank you for your time. Appreciate it. It was a good run. So all good things come to an end. So I had a good time. Appreciate you guys for having me. Is there anything you need to plug, promote, uh, anything you're working on? The floor is yours, man. The original gridirongang.com. The skill, not skiing team. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Love it. (laughs) Love it. Joining me now is my guy, Kenny Betts Big. What up, baby? going on man how about uh how about those colts <laughs> Get, the boys are hot on the show veteran veteran minimum turning out winners right hey and on mondays too bro like we're giving you these winners last couple of weeks and even the week before you came on kenny i was talking about the bengals uh minus seven against carolina i'd bet that right away you came on and you were like dude are you kidding me jets double digits at home against buffalo that's that's a lock and then last week you were on the Colts. I was on Green Bay and you're like, dude, I'm not going to ride that one with you. You're on your own. I was trying to put the bait out to get you in. But we are giving out some win- winners, dude. Just those early look aheads on Mondays. So it's uh, it- it's been good. It's some good momentum right now. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I did jump on the Packers. I had them first half full game spread. Last minute decision. Uh, I saw the way the early game shook out. I thought there was some pretty sharp spots that uh, you know you could jump on in those early games. And the public did very well, you know, like the Chiefs covered, the Giants covered, Texans was a super sharp play. Um, so I, I looked at the later slots and, you know, I was all over the Colts and I said, I, I think, you know, I think the public's going to get beat up in these late games. So I'm going to ride with the Packers too. Worked out. Man, I really want to get into this slate so bad because a lot of, it was a lot of craziness I was going down in these games, dude. Like across the board, it was comeback city. In the NFL on Sundays, so many double-digit leads were blown in the fourth quarter, too. I think uh, I think we should start with the Packers, bro, because the conversation, and it's something that we've harped on in the past, and it's something that we always mention, and I do feel like a lot of, it's like a sharp approach when you're, when you're betting, is everybody was off Green Bay, right? Last week, they performed the way they did. The Cowboys were getting a lot of momentum as far as, yo, they could still catch Philly in the division because they still got to play them in Dallas and Philly's schedule the rest of the way. Though it is favorable, you know, you're not going to run the table 
And Dallas has all these playmakers on defense that are having really good seasons. And then the conversation was just Dallas coming off the bye. And then they go into Lambeau. And it was the biggest dog that Rodgers has been in his career at home. And it was just a spot, bro. I'm glad that you jumped on that too, dude. Yeah, you're right. You know, you you were you started you started to put plant that seed in my head last week uh, when we did the show, and then I just remembered how much Aaron Rodgers just hated Mike McCarthy, and you know, a lot of these big time athletes are very petty. Like you see with Tom Brady, like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, they're very petty and they hold these grudges. And I just remembered how much Aaron Rodgers hated Mike McCarthy, and I was like, you know what, like Aaron Rodgers, home dog, public on the other side, whole world going, counting him out here. You know, I, I feel good putting my money on on Aaron Rodgers there. Yeah, that's how, how many times have you bet the Packers this year? Because I know you were on them against Buffalo. You had put out that post. You're like, the goats aren't going to let me down. You took the Lakers that night, and then you took the Packers that night, Sunday Night Football in Buffalo. Yeah, I think I've had I've been on the Packers a couple times. Definitely more this year than in years past. Usually, the Packers are a fade spot for me. You know, usually Aaron Rodgers big uh, public public uh, bet team, you know, but this this year it's been quite the opposite. So yeah, I had them against the Bills. I had them this week. I think I bet on them one other time this year, but I can't remember what game that was. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other times. I've been pretty accurate with, with picking Green Bay. I don't think they let me down. I've either played against them or, or on them, but not every week too. There are the spots that I do like. What do you make of Dallas now? Is it is it more of a Dallas... Dallas let down. I know, I know a lot of people are putting out TikToks and Instagram reels of that overtime. A little suspect some of those calls, dude, against the Cowboys as they were driving. And I know you've been someone that thinks that this shit might be a little rigged sometimes. Nah, Nick, come on, man. This it, it might. It's not. It might be. It is. It smacks <laughs> you right in the face. Yeah, I know you're home watching these games, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, and as sports betting becomes, you know, as big as it is, and people are really glued to the TV more frequently, I think it's just glaring as you're watching these games. Like, dude, all right, something has to be going on here because this just doesn't even make sense. Um, you know, what what game was it? Oh, it was the Chargers game last night. Like, guy, guy walks the ball back into the end zone right before the game ends. Chargers sh- should have been a touchback. Chargers should have got the ball on the 20-yard line. Refs completely bypass it, give them the ball on the one-yard line. Game over. Man, that was such a sweat there in that game. I, dude, so I took, I took the Chargers plus seven and a half in my pool. And uh, when they turned the ball over with like a minute 30 left and it's first and goal, I'm like, oh my God. It, this went from the best, like the easy, a no-sweat cover for the Chargers, so they might give up a touchdown here. And Elijah Mitchell just stumbles and they settle for the field goal there. I was I was a nervous wreck, dude. I was like, because I had a money line parlay that I missed on. I took a lot okay. of dogs yesterday, dude, on the money line too. You you had, you sold me, yeah, you sold me on the Colts, and, and we'll get to them in a sec. I took Green Bay at home. Uh, I took the Steelers, was one of my favorite bets of the entire weekend on the money line, and then I had the Chargers too on those like random, you know, ten dollars to win like twenty eight hundred. I was waiting down to the, the, the Chargers, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to get the ball back. And before you know it, it's like they turned it over. I'm like, oh, my God, they're not going to even cover this one, Kenny. They're not going to cover. 
do when <clears throat> when I see Staley and the Chargers going for it on fourth down and what were they on like they're on like ten yard line at that point. I was sick to my stomach. I thought for sure we were going to get screwed on on the Chargers covering the game there. Uh, luckily, like you said, the guy stumbles, and again, you know, could be another element of fixing the game. Last Monday, you came on, and you were saying, "I'm betting the Colts. Colts are the side." You never wavered. You didn't get you didn't get scared off the Jeff Saturday press conference. Uh, the thing that was really interesting to me was what everyone heard in the beginning of this episode. I had Robert Mathis in the studio on Friday prior to this game. Kenny, he was here in Vegas. And we were kind of talking about this game and, and more so like Jeff Saturday too. And he kind of fired me up, dude. He was saying how if anyone could do it, it'd be Jeff Saturday. He's a leader amongst men. Uh, he had no issues with calling you out on your shit. Even Peyton Manning got it when he was there with Indy. The legendary stories that he shares on that, on that pod that we recorded that everyone just heard. And he said it was poetic justice that the Colts were going to beat the Raiders on Sunday because of the Josh McDaniels thing. Remember Josh McDaniels, Kenny, kind of laid him out high and dry and he took the job and then he let it go. So now I'm waiting for the breaking news from like Adam Schefter to come out and say that Josh McDaniels got fired because I was looking to, to hit some offshore, some offshore books, Kenny, and be like, money line the Colts to win on Sunday parlay with Josh McDaniels fired by Wednesday, bro. Nah, they're not firing Josh McDaniels, man. Not year one. He's, they'll give him at least one more season. No if, way. I strongly no, disagree. Dude, he's, no, you're nuts. He's, he's completely he, lost the locker room. The, he, but you have to remember this. All right. The Raiders overperformed last season. They were a terrible, they were a bad team before they fired John Gruden, which I came on your show last week and I told you, listen, when you fire coaches, a lot of the times it has a very good effect on the team going forward the rest mm-hmm. of the way through, especially that next week. So we saw it last year. You know, the team kind of rallied around firing Gruden, um, the Henry Rugg situation, where, you know, as unfortunate as that was. The Raiders, they kind of rallied together. It was kind of them against everyone else, and it worked out for them. But let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. You know, I know they get Devontae Adams, but the Raiders still stink, man. Like, they're not that good. Coming into the season, the Colts had way higher expectations for what they thought they were going to be this year. Uh, So, you see, you know, obviously the Colts have underperformed this year. But, yeah, I mean, you can't put too much stock into Josh McDaniels losing that game yesterday. Uh, I, there's no way they fire him after one year. No chance. There's too much. These teams invest way too much of time, money, changing or, uh, the whole situation, you know, the, the coordinators. There's, they have to give McDaniels at least one more year. Well, to, if you are to defend mm-hmm. Josh McDaniels, I think the one thing you will look at is Adams, Renfro, Waller, and Jacobs. I believe Kenny, while I was listening to that broadcast yesterday, have played less than 50 snaps together this year. Someone's always been hurt. It's always been an issue. They haven't been able to have all of those weapons. Like, I'll be honest, I bet on Derek Carr to win MVP at the beginning of the year at 50 to one because I was saying to myself, now he got a real weapon. You got a premier tight end in Waller. You got the slot guy. There were a lot of things that I was liking about Derek Carr and the Raiders. But it goes back to what I always break down and I handicap on a season-long outlook. Dude, last year they went 4-0 in overtime games. 
Only one other team had a better record than them in one-score games. And now this year, I think they've lost all the games by one score. Like, they haven't won a one-score game this year. And that's something that you just can't bank on year to year. Yeah, and, you know, another thing that's in McDaniel's favor is, like, the Raiders, at least the offensive side, they haven't been that bad. They're putting up points. It's, uh, you know, they're blowing big leads. The defense hasn't really been able to stop a nosebleed. So there's some good things you could take away from the Raiders this year and say, all right, well, Josh McDaniels can build on this. Like, they're not a, such a dumpster fire where I think you have to fire the guy year one. Man, I don't know. I think I think they'll be looking for a new coach. <laughs> it's not – you've seen it happen too, dude. Like, I think, I think Nathaniel Hackett is another guy who might be on the hot seat after one year. Um – yeah, I mean, he's definitely more on the hot seat than than Josh McDaniels, in my opinion, because the the Broncos have looked terrible. The defense is is carrying them. I, I saw a stat earlier: if the Broncos had scored eighteen points in every game this year, they would be eight and one, which is astonishing. Um, that the defense is playing as well as they have, and they're still losing as many games as they have. Yeah, and they also got rid of Bradley Chubb too, who was one of their better defensive players, and they're still just balling. They got a lot of guys who outside of like Sertain. You don't got a lot of household names on that. And even him, he's he's in his second year, right? So he's not exactly like Darrell Revis yet. He's not a guy that everybody really knows. But I think those guys, dude, nowadays, whether you're a first-round draft pick or a coach, I think teams are more willing to move on from you. And you've seen that happen with, like, like the Cardinals, right? They got rid of their coach. They go and they hire Kingsbury. They had just drafted Josh Rosen in the first round, like a top 15 pick. And then the next year, they take Kyler Murray. So. I think teams, at least the good teams, they move on from those players or coaches right away. And one of the talking points that I wanted to have with you is, yo, Cooper Cup got hurt yesterday. Um, he might be the most valuable player in the league, Kenny, on the point spread. That's not a quarterback, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I would have to really think about it. I, I mean... Potentially, yeah. Um, there's probably not any, probably not anyone that would would affect the spread as, as much as he would. And maybe the, you know Derrick Henry. Um, That's a good one. How much the lines have moved a couple times, like when he's been out in years prior. But yeah, I, I guess probably from a non quarterback position, yeah, you you can make that argument. Dude, you see so many wide receivers now, and I've, I've been saying this week. Week in, week out, there's a lot of wide receivers, dude, that really change the whole dynamic of a team. And it's astonishing how many of them are players who, if they're not in, I feel completely different about the outlook of that team that week. Tyreek Hill is one. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is another. Cooper Cup is another one. I'd even say Devontae Adams also. Uh, he seems to be the only one that's doing stuff for the Raiders. And... If those guys aren't out there, I feel different. And spearheading the whole conversation is probably Cooper Cup for me, especially with how bad the Rams have been, dude. Like, the Rams are an abomination, Kenny. Yeah, the, the Rams definitely uh, have taken, taken a huge step back. And not surprising, I, there's actually a stat uh, I came across when, when the Rams opened up this year. There's only been, I think it was six times that the Super Bowl winner opened up the season as an underdog in week one. And five out of those six actually went on to miss the playoffs. So it's kind of telling, you know, it's uh, the Rams are just old, man. You know, they kind of went all in. It, it paid off. They, they won the Super Bowl. But now you're kind of seeing 
going all in kind of the, you know, the ripple effect of, of what's going to happen in the, in the years to come. Like, I think they're going to kind of just kind of fade away as we're seeing this. Well, yeah, the, the F them picks and the coffee mugs, it's all dope when it works out and it worked out, right? They won a Super Bowl. They, I felt as if the Rams had a two year window it was last year and this year, as far as them being able to capitalize and winning a Super Bowl. And they did last year. So hats off to them. I'm sure they would make that happen all the time if that was the case. You mortgage your future for a chance to win a Super Bowl. You end up winning the Super Bowl. But now you're seeing some of the issues, right? They're not going to have a first-round pick next year. You have some of these guys that if you do want to rebuild, maybe you move off a guy like an Aaron Donald or a Jalen Ramsey to try to get some assets back or a Cooper Cup even. Like if you, you saw what Tyreek Hill went for, what would Cooper Cup go for, you think, if they were to just put him on the market in the offseason? Because you don't have nothing else, dude. Like, Seattle was in the same boat, and they got rid of Russ, and then they were able to revamp in one season. Now they're leading the NFC West. I think sometimes you, it sucks that you have to let go of those guys, but those dudes also, they're grizzled vets now. They don't want to play for a rebuild at this point, especially when you've had all this success. No, yeah, I... Thinking about it, do you think Cooper Cup is better than Tyreek Hill? No, I wouldn't say that. I think Cooper Cup is more valuable for his offense than Tyreek Hill. And that's not a slight to Tyreek. It's that they also have Waddle and Gasicki. And they have a way better running game. Cooper Cup is literally the entire team. That's the only way. You see all the memes going around of... You know, he's carrying the whole Rams offense on his back and it's it's him just like running wild because they have nothing. Their offense this entire season has been Cooper Cup, go and do something. And then maybe one other thing might happen. Allen Robinson, who we've been waiting on, or a running game, but it's non-existent. The most consistent thing for the Rams is Cooper Cup. So for what he means to his team, I would say he's the most valuable wide receiver just because there's nothing behind him. And Allen Robinson, man, that guy needs, he belongs on a milk carton, right? Guy, I, I, I don't, I can't remember a player who, when he was in the the situation in the Bears, he was doing a lot of talking about how he was getting slighted. You know, the Bears were underutilizing him. His talents weren't, you know, weren't showing because the Bears were so bad. And he had a lot of hype coming to this LA Rams team. And man, that guy freaking stinks. Yeah, I, I got to take a massive L on that one. I was saying, you know, 90 catches, 1,200 yards, double-digit touchdowns because of also what we were just talking about with Cooper Cup, all the attention being off Cooper Cup. He's not going to get number one corner coverage. No one's going to rotate their scheme towards Allen Robinson. And it's just been a, it's been a nightmare. They paid him also. Like, you look at the Rams, they're super top-heavy, dude. They got like seven, eight guys that make about 70% of their salary cap. and there's just not much behind them. And it's been fascinating to see them just completely fall off a cliff. Like, especially if Cooper Cup is out, dude, it's a wrap for them. I think we could, they, we could pack them in for the rest of the year. What do you think, uh, what do you think that line goes to this week? So they're sitting at plus three right now. Do you think it's going to go higher if, if, if Cup is ruled out? Yeah, I think so, man. I think it moves to four. I really do. Cause yeah. who, who else on that team scares you or has proven could do anything, right? Like even, even Stafford, like his splits when he throws the cup and when he doesn't are substantial as well. Like Cooper Cup mm-hmm. is, 
and and last year I was saying how he should he I felt like he was the MVP last year as well. And it it stems from the same argument that I'm having this year. He's the be all end all for this offense. And you take him out, I think he's definitely worth a point. Yeah. Uh yeah. I mean, last year they had a lot more weapons though. Like they still had like Van Jefferson. He he made some big plays for them. Obviously, they get Odell. Um, you know, the running game was still kind of weak last year, but yeah. I think last year the Rams had a little bit more production from the role players than they're getting this year. Like this year, like you, you said, it's pretty much Cooper Cup or bust. Um, probably why the Rams have taken such a, a drastic step back, in, you know, in performance on the field. I feel like we need to definitely address the game of the year. And especially, dude, from a betting perspective, like that fourth quarter, how many emotions do you think people that were back in either Minnesota or, or Bills and money line parlays were just going through? Because that those last three minutes that we were in a text conversation as well was just chaos, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm sure the whole world thought when they when the Bills stopped them on first and goal there or fourth and goal and get the ball on the one yard line, you're thinking, all right, this game's over. Dude, when when they fumble that ball, holy shit. What, what do you think? What are you thinking? Because I know you bet the Bills yesterday. We were texting. You told me you, you, you jumped on the Bills money line live, right? Yeah. I did right right before that. I, I I jumped on it live. I also tried to to middle it because I took I took the Vikings in my contest at plus seven on Tuesday, and then I bet Buffalo minus three, uh, minus three and a half. Excuse me. So I'm hoping you know what if it could be like a four point game, six point game, maybe I could be, you know, telling people I'm the goat on Twitter that I middled this the second time that I'd ever middle this. And even the Bills social media team on that stop tweeted out ball game. And it's a picture of Ed Oliver and Von Miller hugging it out. And that, that quickly didn't age well. The, the snap being fumbled. And also just Josh Allen, dude. This guy, you're already coming into that game with a bum shoulder and elbow. And then you throw that interception and you're going to lay the guy out with that right arm. It's like, dude, we've been talking about the concerns that we have for Buffalo last couple of weeks. I've been talking about it since like week six. I'm like, yo, there's something about them. They can't hold a lead, right? Yesterday too, they had a double digit lead, 14. They're up 14. They have no running game. They got no running game. Their running game is Josh Allen. And the only, Mm -hmm. they have an extension of the running game where they'll check it down to Devin Singletary or or like Isaiah McKinney, McKenzie also. And dude, in, uh, in the red zone, he's had four interceptions in like the last three weeks. Yeah, obviously you never want to see anyone go down with injury, but I actually thought if like they rested Josh Allen for a week or two, it could benefit the Bills long term. Like look at the Cowboys, for example, when Dak Prescott went down, right? And Cooper Rush stepped in, they got significantly better at running the ball because they kind of had to abandon relying on Dak Prescott to do everything. So they had to, you know, improve other areas and the running game got significantly better uh, if you look at the before and after. I think if the Bills, if you stop relying on Josh Allen for a couple weeks, I think if you focus on other areas and let that improve and then Josh Allen steps back into that situation, it would make them such a more dangerous team going down the stretch. Um, I've been saying it all year. I think the Bills are fraudulent. They're not winning the Super Bowl. They're probably not going to get there. Um, I've bet pretty significant amount of money that they're not going to get there, so I hope they don't. But, yeah, I I think the Bills come playoff time, they're going to do what they always do and they'll disappoint. 
Well, one thing that they definitely need back is Tredavious White. Because, man, I didn't even mention Justin Jefferson before as far as the most valuable non-quarterbacks for their team. And what that dude did yesterday. And so crazy that that trade went down. And then you got to see both Diggs and Justin Jefferson really ball out. Kenny, I know we, we like live in the moment. And uh, sometimes we're like quick to say, yo, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. This is the greatest fighter, greatest game, whatever. All things considered, fourth and 18, a little bit of a drizzle, not, you know, it wasn't 85 degrees in a, or in a dome. Fourth and 18, game on the line. That Justin Jefferson catch might be the greatest catch I think I've ever seen. I thought that at first, and, and then I said, well, all right, now I'm being a prisoner of the moment. You can't put that over the David Tyree catch in the Super Bowl because that won, this, won them a Super Bowl. And you could even make an argument that the Julian Edelman catch against the Falcons was a better catch. Um, Very impressive what Justin Jefferson did. But if you go back and watch the replay, he didn't even really catch the ball. The defender kind of caught it, and then Jefferson kind of took it away from him as they went to the ground. Very impressive. Definitely top five. But to say number one, uh, I think, is is a little bit of a reach, especially when you consider the David Tyree catch, what was at stake in, in the Super Bowl, the biggest game, you know, obviously football has. Yeah, I mean, if you want to stay with the Giants, the Odell catch. I was actually at that game, Sunday Night Football against the Cowboys. That went for a touchdown, and he drew the defensive uh, pass interference in that. And then I think the Jefferson one was more impressive than the Odell one. Yeah. The well, Odell one was sick. Like, you know, it's New York, the big primetime game. It, it was a sick catch, especially because I feel like he kind of – Obviously, people have been doing it for forever, but I feel like Odell really kind of started that, right? The like, one-handed catches. catches like- yeah, yeah. Because then after after the Odell catch, like he really fathered a lot of wide receiver style now. Like these one-handed grabs in pre-games and, and doing all the, that funky stuff. Like that really started. Like you said, guys were making one-handed catches in the past, but there's like social media handles that are catered to just one-handed catches now. And like all these accounts surface and they spotlight these one-handed catches. And yeah, Odell... Definitely did that. I would say the Odell catch was probably more difficult, but that was also like the, you know, it was in the second half. It was a game where the Giants weren't really going to win anyway, if I remember correctly. But that's why this one, fourth and 18, uh, Kirk Cousins kind of throws it up, make your guy make a play. And he was cooking them all game, dude. And going back to the thing about Buffalo, you saw it last year in the playoff game too where Tyree Kill was just running wild. Their DBs, they're, they're good at safety, even though those guys have been banged up. But it's corner that's a big liability for them. And then you're looking at the AFC, who they might run into. You got a lot of number one wide receivers that could go wild on you, dude. Tyreek is still in the AFC. You got Jamar Chase. He can make plays. You have, I know Kansas City doesn't have a stud number one wide receiver, but you trust Mahomes and that infrastructure there to make noise. That's the biggest concern. The, the, the DBs, they definitely need Tredavious White back. But also that secondary is no longer a strength with these injuries. You know what the Bills kind of remind me of? Kind of like the, uh, the Houston Rockets from a few years ago. You remember like that James Harden team? Where all we would hear about is how the Rockets are constructed to compete and beat the Warriors. And we hear about it all the time, how the Bills, they've put this team together to beat the Chiefs in the playoffs to finally get over that hump. And you can say it, you can talk about it, it looks good on paper, but you still have to go out there and do that and beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. So 
Uh, we saw it with the Rockets in, in the NBA. They can never get over that hump. And like I said earlier, I, I think the Bills are going to be a very similar story where they're going to run into the Chiefs or one of these teams in the playoffs, and they're just not going to get it done. I don't like them. They rely too much on Josh Allen. You and I have talked about it, how he's way too uh, too much of a physical player. He's going to get hurt. And then lo and behold, he actually does go and get hurt. Uh, luckily for him, you know, and the Bills, he was able to to come back pretty quickly. But he still plays very physical. There's still a lot of games left. Uh, I just don't like the style of football that the Bills play. It's fun to watch, though. I think that's a great comparison of them and Houston. And boy, do I remember that Houston team. I had big money on them to make some noise <laughs> and, and James Harden to be MVP that year that Russ averaged a triple-double. The last thing I want to mention with you is... Dude, Tom Brady and the Bucks. You you were talking oh, about it a couple weeks ago. They were ten to one when you gave it out. Now they're seven to one. Uh, their division odds are back to what they were uh, at the beginning of the year. He he's two and zero oh since the divorce, Kenny. And we were making jokes of it last week, but it's true, dude. All he got to focus is is football now. That that his entire attention span is on football. And I think I think Tampa Bay loses one game the rest of the way. And just cruises to being another team that you're not going to want to play come January. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the viewers and you know all, all the loyal listeners jumped on it when I told them to take the Bucks. What two weeks ago they were minus one thirty to win the division. That division is a cakewalk. And if if you're a football fan, this has happened year in year out. Where Tom Brady, you know, he's a little adjustment period takes a little bit to figure it out, tinker some things. But once the Buccaneers figure it out and they're going to, which they may have already started to turn that corner, they're going to hit a stride. They're going to hit a groove and they are going to run the table. I don't think the Bucs may not lose a game the rest of the year. I think it's possible. Pulling up their schedule right now. Because I, f- I know they play the Niners. That was a tough one. Um, but I think Brady goes into, into Levi's. Is it Levi's still? And I think he wins that one. So they're on a bye this week. Then they come back and they go to Cleveland. Watson is still not there. They play Saints at home at San Francisco, home Bengals, on the road against Arizona, home Panthers at Falcons. What's their tough game? San Francisco? That's the only loss that I would say. When you play the win-loss game, that's the only one that I see on their schedule. Maybe the Bengals if Joe Burrow goes nuts. But yeah, in that game, I'm not betting the Bengals to go to Tampa and win that game. Yeah, I feel the same way. Especially, we don't know what Jamar Chase is going to look like. He should be back by then. Right. But that's always, it's always weird when they say, yeah, we'll revisit this in four weeks. Like your injury is four weeks, but we got to revisit it. So who knows when he's going to come back? And he's, he's such a big part of their offense. So another guy who we could add to that list of players that maybe they don't move the point spread, but. As a non-quarterback, you'd feel a little bit different if he's not in the lineup as opposed to him being in the lineup. Yeah, I, I, I've i said it many times. I think DeAndre Hopkins is the best wide receiver in the NFL. I think Tyreek Hill is definitely approaching that area. Uh, if he was a bigger wide receiver, you know, was able to, I mean, it sounds crazy to say if he was bigger, he'd dominate more because Tyreek Hill seems like he's dominating the whole league week in, week out. But Jamar Chase is definitely my favorite wide receiver to watch in. You know, a couple years, he may be at the top too. As we look towards week 11, any games jump out to you? We've been hot, bro. Let's keep this momentum going. Yeah, I love the Browns uh, this week. Plus nine versus the Bills. 
So uh, that, that's one of the, the first spots I'm looking at. Just look at like the, the running backs, the last three games versus the Bills, right? Dalvin Cook goes for 1400, 14 carries, 119 yards, and a touchdown. Michael Carter and James Robinson combined for 25 carries, 124 yards, and a touchdown. Aaron Jones, 20 carries for 143 yards. What do you think Nick Chubb is going to do to that team? He's just going to run absolutely wild against them. Coming off a terrible loss, I talked about it. I love I love taking teams uh, after the following week if they get beat by 17 or more points the previous week. So Brown just got absolutely beat down by the Miami Dolphins. I love them to come back, bounce back the following week against the Bills here in that spot. Yeah, it's a good point about keeping the ball away from Josh Allen too, right? Like that would be the recipe for success if you're Cleveland. The game that jumped out to me, dude, immediately, I can't believe that the Cowboys are a favorite in Minnesota. I know people still don't trust Minnesota. They've won every game, every one-score game they've won. And them being a dog at home against Dallas is wild to me, dude. Yeah, that's a game where I would probably have to see. I'm just trying to pull it up. Where I'd probably have to see like where the money is. Mm. Like if let's say everyone is betting the Vikings there, I don't care. I'm blindly betting the Cowboys. Doesn't matter if everyone is backing the Cowboys. Like if the public, you know, you're seeing all these the, the bets and handle on the Cowboys. Then yeah, I would feel good taking the Vikings at home there in that spot. Um, but what I'm just all right. We got Chiefs, Chargers, and 49ers, Cardinals. I was going to say, how is Cowboys Vikings not a primetime game? But they actually gave us some good ones that week. Yeah, and also Chargers Chiefs. Like I, I kind of just blindly, if I'm if I'm getting close to a touchdown, where Herbert he covers for us, man. He put his he put his season on the <laughs> line in that Thursday night game, broken ribs and all, to give us that plus four, baby, back door. That's another one that jumped out yeah. to me too. Yeah, I agree. I, I I like the I like the Chargers there. Uh, plus seven, I would take that before it drops down below seven. Obviously, you know mm. we all know why seven is a very important number in football. And the Cardinals, man, I wouldn't be shocked if the Cardinals win that game outright in Mexico City. Come on, dude. We had this conversation last week about Arizona. They're banned. They're on I the know, ban list. You know what? <laughs> but, yeah, but see, this is why you can't do do things like that I because I told myself that. I go on the Moxie Bets podcast on Wednesday and I talked about how I was going to give the Cardinals as one of my favorite bets that week. And then I remembered me telling myself, I can't do it. The burn from betting on Arizona stings too much. And I talked myself into saying I like the Rams that week. And we all see what happens. Fucking Arizona Cardinals come out, upset the Rams. What is it? The second, I think the first or second time that McVay's lost to the Cardinals in his career. Yeah, he just dominates them all the time. And and you can't yeah. even use the excuse of the backup quarterback for the Rams because so did Arizona also. Like, they were in there with a backup <laughs> quarterback. So you can't say, oh, he didn't have Stafford. It's like, yo, they didn't have Kyler Murray either. So it's going to be interesting, man, to see what happens. I don't uh, – I'm making jokes, though. Like, I I bet numbers, not teams. You know this. Like, that's why last – yeah, in, in week 10, I felt like people were off the Colts. People were off the Packers. And those were the right sides. And it's because people were too married to the idea of these being bad teams. But it's like, nah, these are the spots. These are the numbers that we're looking at. And then both teams happen to win outright, too. Yeah, that's uh, it's one of my favorite questions. Like, my clients will hit me with, like, why, why do you like this team? Like, or why are we betting on this team? I'll just respond. It's the right spot. 
You know, you, 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 you got to bet the number. You can't bet the team. You can't get caught up in pr- being prisoner of the moment. What happened the week before? What's the storyline? You, you know, you, you, can, you almost have to tune all that stuff out and just focus on like how you think, how you see it kind of affecting each week to week. You know what I mean? No, nah, man, I feel you. And my question to follow up on that or to add to it is, do you take that in other sports too besides football? Take what, like that same approach? Yeah, like that same approach as far as, like we didn't really touch on it much, but UFC 281, the main event, right? Mm -hmm. Like Adesanya, yeah, Adesanya, I felt like should have been a bigger favorite. And yeah, he ends up on the wrong side of it. He gets knocked out in the fifth round, uh, TKO stoppage officially. But dude, when the fifth round starts, he's minus 1,500. Pereira is... He's plus 950, right? And and on mm-hmm. the Patreon and in the Discord, I give out like my picks. And I said, I was on Adesanya third round and also via decision, which he was cruising to. But if I'm going to bet Pereira, it has to be by knockout at plus 280 because it was you're never going to win a decision against Adesanya. The way he fights is he gets ahead on yeah. you and he just accumulates points and he wins rounds. Like that's his style. He was a lot more aggressive than he was in his last fight. And people were booing him that he wasn't engaging. And then he engages in this one and he gets stopped. And now they're making fun of him too. Like, oh, you were a fraud champion. Again, you lose to the guy that's kind of had your number. I feel like he got stopped because he kind of stopped engaging in the fifth round. Right. I think his, you you can look even, you know, we talked about how it, it seemed like deja vu with the Usman fight. Usman did the same thing, man. He took his foot off the gas. If you watched in in this Izzy fight, anytime Pereira would get him up against the cage or, you know, kind of in a bad position, Izzy would would clinch him. He would grab onto him and and kind of force the, you know, kind of slow down the action. In the fifth round, he gets him pinned up there. I'm like, dude, you got to grab him. What are you doing? And then he just starts getting teed off on it. You know, obviously, we we all saw what happened with Pereira and, you know, eventually ending it. But, yeah, I was shocked that Izzy kind of – it almost seemed like he was just standing there taking the beating. I was shocked he didn't try and, like, slip out of there or – or grab onto him. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a reason why, you know, I'm not a UFC fighter. So it's hard to, you know, be the guy sitting on the couch saying that, but you know, you're kind of watching it thinking, dude, what are you doing? Do something. And it just didn't happen. Dude, if they run it back, I'm taking Izzy again. Uh, I think Izzy is the right side. I feel the same way about Usman. I think the comparison between the two of them is fascinating. Both get stopped in the fifth round, both were minus 1500 favorites going into the fifth round. And the thing with Pereira, a lot of people were a little questionable, were questioning the stoppage. I had no problems with that stoppage, dude. I don't like this. I, idea. Think, I think it was a little, sh- I think it was early because, th- but the thing is, Izzy did himself no, no justice by the way he was dodging the punches because his hands were down and his, and his head was down, but he was still, if you go back and watch the replay, he was still ducking a lot of those shots. He wasn't getting clean shots. Like Pereira wasn't hitting Izzy with clean shots, you know? You could make the argument that if you're going to stop that fight, how do you not stop the Chandler Poirier fight? Like there was way more damage being done in that fight than than what was happening to Izzy there in that spot. I think my response is and was at the time too. It's that saying of the lights are on, but no one's home. That's what it looked like for me with Adesanya. I felt as if, yeah, he's there, but like you said, he's not defending it. He's kind of lax and moving his head around. And at that point, dude, do you really want him to get put out and get more damage than is needed? 
to me, I had no issues with that stoppage because Pereira is a very powerful dude. As you saw, after 23 minutes, still gets the stoppage. And I don't want to see a fighter get really put out on his shield and then it just, he's not the same. You've seen that time and time again in the UFC where these dudes, they are in these wars. And then overnight, within one fight to the other, those shots that never will put them away, now they're putting them away. Dude, look at Frankie Edgar for the longest time. He just retired over the weekend. For the longest time, this guy never got finished. Then got finished one time by Brian Ortega. And ever since then, dude, it's ugly, vicious yeah. finishes. It's flying knees. It's front kicks. It's, it's bad, dude. And it turns out the way it did for Frankie Edgar. And I don't want to see that. i rather the referee. I had no issues with that stoppage whatsoever. I thought it was the right decision. I felt as if you were on the side of Adesanya. I think that was the right side also. It was just unfortunate, dude. Minus fifteen hundred. What does that imply? Like ninety-seven percent? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's good. Just, I don't know what the exact percentage yeah, is, but it, it's good. It, it sounds about right, right? Like ninety yeah. percent of the time is going to go. So, I think they're going to run it back, and they have to run it back. Yeah, you run, you run it back because Adesanya has been your champion for three and a half plus years, and he's been so dominant. There's no one else. But it's it's he might it might be his version of what Kobe. Uh, Colby Covington has with Usman. He just might not be able to get over that hump. That's Pereira. 0-3 against him now, dude. Yeah, but I mean, the the difference is, is like Colby Covington really, and I could be misspeaking here because I haven't really watched all of the Colby Covington versus Usman fights. I saw the last one. I don't think I saw the ones before that. But I don't think those fights really have been close. It, am I right in, in saying that? Yeah, they've been like 4-1 decisions. To, yeah, so to they're Usman. They're yeah. like a typical Usman fight where he's going in there, he's just dominating. Yeah. <laughs> he's just dominating the opponent, which he did to Leon Edwards, too. So, I mean, he just fully, flat out dominated him. That fight was not even close, other than the Hail Mary that Leon Edwards <laughs> hit at the end there. Um, I, you could say the same thing for this fight. You yep. know, I, I think Pereira looked a little better than, than the other guys did against Usman, but Izzy was dominating that fight. It wasn't even close. You know, he was landing the bigger shots. He, he was getting the takedowns. We saw him get a takedown. He's never done that before in his career. Um, I thought Izzy looked better. And, you know, it was an unfortunate ending, uh, especially he is my he's my favorite fighter. I know you like him a lot, too. So it, it, it was tough to watch. Uh, I, I think he'll definitely take take round two when they run it back, though. Yeah, that's the fight game, man. Sometimes you do everything right and then you get caught. What are, what are, is, what are the odds for that fight when they run it back? I think I saw minus 150 out of Sanya. In the open, but it's not like an official. I don't think you could bet it anywhere. But there's a there's a site called Best Fight Odds that okay. they do like fantasy booking for future fights. And there are a couple of books that are tied to it too. That's a that's an interesting source that I use. But we'll see, man. We'll see what happens with that. I do think that's going to be the next fight for both of them. But Kenny, this was dope, dude. I appreciate you coming on again. And uh, course, tell, tell the people where they could find you and and any funky shit you got going on. Yeah, you know, you can find me Instagram, Kenny Betts Big, Twitter, Kenny Betts Big. Uh, I got my website, KennyBetsBig.com. But yeah, you know, you can always feel free if you have any questions or you're trying to become a, a better better. Uh, reach out to me, ask me whatever you want. I'm pretty active in, in getting back to the people involved in my community. So um, you can find me at anywhere on those sites. At Nick Deus 10 is you can find me, VeteransMinimum.com is you can find all things VM. And we will catch you next time on Veterans Minimum.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.